Acts chapter 13. The title of this sermon will be, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? So once you get to Acts 13, you'll go, we'll back up just one verse, because chapter 12, verse 25 is actually part of this story, gives us some context. I'll be preaching and teaching from the NIV today. This is God's word. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, right now we ask that you would incline our hearts to your word. Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law? Unite our hearts to fear your name and to see who you are, what your character is, God. Satisfy us with your steadfast love this morning. And then God, send us out into the world to be your witnesses to a, to a world that desperately needs to know the way, of, the way of truth and the way of grace and the way of life. Thank you, Jesus, you are the way the truth, and the life. Please help me to teach your word faithfully now. Pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I want, uh, at the outset, I want to take you back uh, to sixth period in high school literature class, okay? Some of, some of you guys, that just like was a little PTSD like throwback, right? It was like, oh, that room was so hot and the fan like didn't work and we had to read stuff I didn't understand. Okay, I'm right there with you. I'm gonna re- be reading part of a famous uh, play, but here's the, like, I, I mispronounced Romeo's last name in the first service, okay? So I'm like right there with you. Sometimes this stuff is hard to read, but there's something beautiful in here. So can you guys stay with me for a sec? Yeah? I'm going for it either way, so... Act two, scene two. Romeo says, she speaks. Oh, speak again, bright angel, for thou art as glorious to this night being over my head as a winged messenger of heaven unto the white upturned wondering eyes of mortals that fall back to gaze on him when he bestrides the lazy puffing clouds and sails upon the bosom of the air. He's, he's crazy in love. Juliet says, O Romeo, Romeo. Know it? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Romeo says an aside. Shall I hear more or shall I speak at this? Juliet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague, What's Montague? 
is nor hand nor foot nor arm nor face nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo, doff thy name. Romeo, ditch your name. And take for thy name which is no part of thee. Take all myself. Romeo, just forget your amount you, just us together. It's all that matters. Romeo, I take thee at thy word. Call me but love and all be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. He says, I'm down. I'm out. Like, I don't need to be a Montague. I don't want to be a Montague. Juliet, what man art thou that thus bescreet in the night so stumblest on my counsel? She's up in the, in the balcony, right? She's like, who's, who's talking about this? Who's saying this? Who is this man? It's like, you know. <laughs> Romeo, by a name I know not how to tell thee who I am. My name, dear saint, is hateful to myself because it is an enemy to thee. Had, it, had I it written, I would tear the word. See. Romeo and Juliet are estranged, star-crossed lovers because their families, the Montagues and the Capulets, they're sworn enemies, Right? And so what they're saying here is like, I just wish I had another name. I just wish I wasn't a Montague. I wish I wasn't a Capulet. Now, Romeo, just, he just wanted a different family, a different name, to retain the parts of himself, but to be able to enter into love itself by virtue of having another name. And remember, at this time, at this time, your, na- your surname, your last name, it wasn't, it wasn't just... Uh, random, but it was given to you, uh, it said something about who you were, what your occupation was, or where you live. For example, still today, we have people who are Smiths, and way back in the day, probably down the family ancestor line, uh, their families were Smiths. Or uh, for Jewish people, uh, if you have the last name Cohen, you're from the priestly, you're from the priestly line. The word Cohen in Hebrew means priest. Uh, or it maybe denotes where you live. So uh, green is my last name. Uh, apparently, my ancestors lived next to something green. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of broad, but uh, it it told you something about where uh, where you were from, who you were, or something else. Okay, now please, if if I totally turned you off with the Shakespeare, please come back in. Don't run away. Uh, hear this, okay? Because this is this is what is important. A name, back then especially, represented who you were, who you are, where you're from, and what you do. And we, we sometimes, we feel hateful to ourselves for our name. We feel that who we are at our core, like Romeo felt, was an enemy to ourselves, an enemy to bringing us into love itself. Maybe because of what we've done or where we're from, we feel like who I am is the enemy to myself. I hate my name. And I wonder how many of us in this room just wish we could be someone else doing something else, living somewhere else. Like, I just want to be somewhere else. We feel paralyzed by not knowing who we are. Or if that's, that's not the case for you, perhaps it's the case that 
you feel so sure of yourself and you know exactly who you are, but you're proud and you're full of yourself while simultaneously feeling empty and hollow. You wouldn't admit it to anyone else, but you feel it there. You feel it there. Well, we're slowing down. We're slowing down today in Acts chapter 13. It's a passage that's filled with names and of people in the church, uh, filled with people in the church. Um, and we're going to look today at how God, through his community, by his Holy Spirit, gives us identity, calling, and purpose. So, uh, as we turn to chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul, they've just returned from a trip uh, from Jerusalem, and they're in Antioch. They're in Antioch. Does anyone know modern-day Antioch, where that would be? What country? Turkey. Turkey. So, actually, modern-day Syria. Syria right now. Isn't that pretty, pretty crazy? Um, Antioch and Syria, uh, which, as an aside, man, that gives us something to think about when we hear from the news. Uh, what's going on in Syria, brothers and sisters over there. But we pick up uh, in a very different situation from today in the church of Antioch, and there's a bit of a who's who of prophets and teachers. It's a bit of a who's who of prophets and teachers. We have Barney and Saul, right, who people uh, later on in 1 Corinthians, they're going to debate about Barnabas baptized me, and then other people, no, Saul, well, Saul baptized me. They're like, they're elevated leaders in the church that people are putting way too much stock in, right? But they're like, they're up there. They're known names. They're famous pastors. Then there's Simeon called Niger, which Niger is the Latin word for black or dark, which he most likely was from northern Africa. And tradition has spun the tale that this is actually Simon of Cyrene. That's actually Simon of Cyrene, uh, the man who carried the cross for Jesus, the man who carried the cross for Jesus, uh, which is kind of interesting, right? There's like a random guy. And throughout history, for some reason, uh, we kind of assigned, oh, well, that's actually Simon of Cyrene. He actually is really important. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. And then we have Lucius Malfoy, or uh, rather Lucius of Cyrene, Lucius of Cyrene, who according to the church fathers was Luke himself. Again, we kind of, oh, we don't know. Oh, that's actually Luke. That's actually Luke. Luke, he's kind of self-effacing. He's kind of like humble, but he inserts himself here in the story. There's not a ton of evidence that that is Luke. Uh, but funny how we, again, insert, this is who this guy is. And then we have Manan, who was a childhood friend of Herod. You remember what happened to Herod last week? Herod got pretty proud, uh, said he was one like the gods, like the son of God. Uh, and then God just struck him down dead. And then he got eaten by worms. Wow. Um, so uh, we have that guy. And Manan is how we probably know about a lot of the stuff that went on in Herod's life. Uh, so we kind of have a who's who of prophets and teachers in the church. Now, at the outset, before we really get into this, I want to ask us, I want to draw attention to a temptation we're going to have, and I want to say we need to avoid this temptation, okay? And the temptation is this. This is not a passage about those who are called to the ministry in a vocational sense. It's not about being called to be a minister or a pastor, a full-time Christian worker. That's not what this passage is. It is, it's not less than that, but it's so much more. 
It's so much more. It, it is a passage about prophets and teachers, but when we turn to the book of Ephesians, what, what does it say that prophets and teachers were given to the church for? They were given to the church so that we could equip the body, that the body would be built up and sent out and fully functioning. It's for the purpose of the good of the entire body. And so at the outset, avoid thinking of this, of this is for people called to the ministry. This is for pastors, for ministers. This is for that kind of thing. See, what we have on offer this morning is that you can find out who you were made to be by God. And you can thrive in that. And it doesn't matter how you walked in here. It doesn't matter what you were doing last night. It doesn't matter what kind of week this has been. It doesn't matter what your last name is. You can find out who you were created by God to be, and you can thrive inside of that. But in order to do so, we need, uh, we need three things. We need first to hear the call of God. And then we're on a journey to discover our calling. And if we hear the call of God and if we put into practice what God says, we finally can be called great in the kingdom of God. So being called by God. If we're going to find out who our true self is, who God made us to be, our calling, the first thing we need to know is that we are called to God himself. We need to ingest the grand narrative of scripture. That is this. This is the story of the entire universe, okay? That there is one creator God, that he is a triune God, meaning He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one, in one. That this triune God who is beyond beyond our ability to fully comprehend everything, yet our ability to understand him is still there. This God, he is triune. He has existed forever in loving relationship. He has forever existed in loving relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this triune God, out of the love that he has forever had, said, you know what? I'm going to create the universe. I'm going to create everything known in this universe. And so he spoke, and it was. And he created everything good. He created everything good. And then, eventually, eventually he got to making everything, and there was something left that he had not made humanity. He had not yet made humanity. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to create humanity and I'm going to create them in a way that's different than anything else. I'm going to make them in my own image. They're going to reflect something of me that nothing else in all of creation reflects. And so God made humanity and he put his image upon us. And part of what that is, part of what that is, is do you know why? Do you know why you can feel lonely sometimes? Do you know why you long to have fellowship, to have friendship, to be with somebody else? Why you long for a relationship? It's because the one who made you himself has always forever existed in relationship. And so a stamp is upon you that you are made to share life with other people. Well, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They rebelled against him. They essentially said, you know, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And the image of God was marred, but it was not removed. It was stained, 
but it was not dissolved. Sin had entered the world, but we were still made in his image. Fallen, broken, separated from him, but still made in his image. And astonishingly, astonishingly, it was actually our rejection of God that drew forth the depths of his love for us. That we said, I don't want your stuff. And what that led God to do was give us insight into the depths of the love he had for us. You see, we were called his children at first, but we rejected our father. But he sent his son, his only son, to renounce the name and power that he had had from before the foundation of the world, that we should be called unto him, that we would be called unto him, and that through Christ's renouncement of his privileges and his name, and by, take, and by Christ taking upon himself all the wrath deserved for our sins on the cross, and then raising from the dead, showing God's stamp of approval on it, now all who call upon him are called his sons or his daughters. And that's the truest thing about you, that if you have trusted in Christ, if you are following him, if you have put all of your hope in what he did for you, that is the truest thing about you, that you are God's beloved, adopted son or daughter. And so he still says today what he said in the days of Isaiah, Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And there just, there is no substitute. There is absolutely no substitute for this. If you want to find your calling in life, you want to find out who you are, you absolutely must first come to Christ. You will spend the rest of your life searching and finding everything vain and empty if you don't first find yourself in Christ. Find that you couldn't give God anything to make yourself right with him. That you actually needed the Son of God to die for you. To be able to enter into the life of God. Jesus even said to a man searching for true, to find true life, he said, you know what? You want to find true life? You need to be born again. And so there is an absolute necessity of being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, receiving a new heart, trusting what Christ did on the cross and being born again. And if you try to find your life, if you try to find your life in work, if you try to find your life in a relationship, if you try to find your life in your gifts, in your talents, that you're smarter than others in comparison to other people, you're going to lose your life. You'll absolutely never find it. There will always come along somebody who ends up being better than you. And then you, know, you won't know who you are. But if you lose yourself, if you lose yourself and you lose your life, you'll find it in Christ. You'll find out who you were always created to be. But that, that's where life actually begins. That's not, that's not the end of the story. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is actually the beginning of new life. It's not just where we end, it's actually where we get to pick up the new life. And so what I'm saying is that the gospel, what Christ has done, it's for here and now. 
It's not, it wasn't just a ticket so we could get to heaven one day in the next however many years you have, you spend waiting. No, it's for the here and now. And we never, we never, never, never move past the gospel, what Christ did for us. We only ever move further up and further into it. And now we're on a journey of discovering who we are in Christ. You see, when God saved you, he didn't obliterate your personality, okay? You, you were made in the image of God, and that wasn't taken away from you. That wasn't taken away. It, it was stained. It needed to be washed. It needed to be cleansed. It needed to be renewed. But God, he started to recreate you. He started to renew your mind. He makes all things new. I even thought, how interesting is it? How interesting is it? that God, throughout the Bible, often gives people new names. God often gives people new names. And sometimes what God does with giving them a new name is he says, hey, this is, actually, this, is, this is who you truly are, but it just calls them further into who they already were. And the things that were bent and torn and messed up, he strains them out and he points them back to himself. So for example, I think of Jacob. Jacob was just a scoundrel, right? Cheating people left and right, always lying about stuff. He was a total scoundrel. He had to run away. He was always afraid of running into different people. Uh, he was just modern-day Ponzi scheme artist. Uh, and then one, uh, even from birth, from birth, what, what's the first thing he tried to do? He tried, his name means grasp for the heel. So he tried to cheat his brother and like pull his brother when he was a little baby so he could like get out of the womb first. It's like he didn't even know what he was doing. He was a little scoundrel. Um, so Jacob means, means grasp for heel. But what I thought was so beautiful is that, that the Lord uses both names. Because there's going to come a day where Jacob, Jacob is going to have a dream where he wrestles with God. Where he wrestles with God and he won't, let, he won't stop wrestling until God blesses him. And then God finally blesses him and he gives him a new name. He says, you are Israel. From which the nation of Israel derives its name. For you have striven with God. You have wrestled with God. The one who grasped for the heel, man, he had it straightened out. And his true identity was, hey, you used to grasp for heels, but now you wrestle with God in a good and right and holy way. Called further into who he was already made to be. So as we follow Jesus, we discover who we were truly made to be. We become truly human. And we discover our calling in life. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we pick back up on the scene. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you really read that, like, isn't this what we want? Like, this is what we want, right? Like, a little, a little, a little praise goes up, and it's like, blessings come down, right? A little, a little bit of a fast, a little bit, God, please show me the way of this, and boom, the Holy Spirit speaks. Like, isn't that what we're after? Anybody? Nobody wants the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Okay, this is going to we'll take a different turn, go 1 Corinthians or something, if so. Um, we want God to speak to us. We want God to speak to us immediately. Do this. Go here. This is what you were called for. We long to hear from God about our calling in life. But there's a massive problem. There's a massive problem. 
And it's with our old self. It's with our old self. See, we are still becoming who we are. We are still becoming who we are in Christ, our true self. And we have something called indwelling sin. Indwelling sin. This talk about becoming who we truly are in Christ, our new self versus our old self. A lot of this comes up in Colossians 3. What we're talking about, it's not that we've reached a state of perfection and I no longer sin. I have found my true self. I'm in a state of nirvana bliss. No, not at all. We still find ourselves like driving on the street and there's a biker in the road taking up more space than they should. And we just want, right? Just me? We find anger in our heart. Like, I just want to snap back. Like, I'll show you. You think you're smart with your words. I'll show you how smart I can be with my... And we're like, oh, what's going on? We have indwelling sin, anger lying in our hearts. We lie, we manipulate with our words. We judge other people. We find things that need to be put off, that need to be put to death in ways we need to put on our new self again. We must continually, by forming new habits, put off the old self. So we have this crazy contrast between the context in which the Holy Spirit spoke in Acts chapter 13 and where we find most of ourselves, the context we live most of our lives out of, right? I said there's a huge problem and it's our self to hearing from the Holy Spirit. So uh, here I wrote out a sentence um, describing the context of Acts chapter 13. We'll look at it versus where we find ourselves. So Acts 13 in community, as they worship God and fast from food, amidst worship, fasting, and prayer, the Spirit speaks. And they follow the call in obedience to the mission of God and send Barnabas and Saul out. So in community, as they worship and fast from food amidst worship, fasting, and prayer, the Spirit speaks and they follow the call in obedience to the mission and send Saul and Barnabas out. Okay? So let's take that phrase by phrase. The church in Acts uh, is living in community. They're living in community. But our problem is we are, we are like radically individualistic. We are radically individualistic. Like just take, just take a couple minutes this afternoon, to ponder this, that we have introduced into the English dictionary the word selfie in the last two years. Like, we came up with that, selfie. Just think about that for a bit of time, okay? We are radically individualistic. As they worship God and fast from food, we worship ourselves, we, we, we spend our money on ourself. We give our time to ourself. And we gorge ourselves, as they would fast from food, we gorge and binge ourselves on things that, like, will never satisfy. Like, were my last three Netflix binges, did they ever leave me satisfied from God? Like, I love the West Wing. But eight episodes at a time probably isn't helpful to my soul, right? Amidst worship, fasting, and prayer, the Spirit speaks. They, they actually pray. 
And we often find ourselves, I often find myself, I talk to everyone about my problem but God, right? Do you realize what she said? Do you realize what they did? Do you realize this? What should I do? Hey, I just, I'm looking for some wisdom on this one, uh, which is a genuine thing for me sometimes, but then sometimes like, I want to tell you what happened, right? They, we, we often talk to everyone but God. And they, they follow the call in obedience to the mission. And we often disobey or we often disobey the call of God or are in pursuit of our own mission in our own kingdom. So there's this radical disconnect. There's this radical disconnect. And so we feel stuck, left not knowing who we are or what we're to do. But there's hope. There really is hope. First, first, you need to remember, man, the truest thing about you, the truest thing about you, if you, if you have trusted in Christ, is that you, you are beloved son or daughter. The truest thing about you is not what you're going to do for God. It's what God has already done for you. That is the truest thing about you. And secondly, there are practices. There are practices in reliance on the Holy Spirit built upon and taking us deeper into the foundation of Christ's work for us that we can do, practices we can do to put off the old self and put on the new self to discover our calling. Now what's interesting, what's interesting is what the community in Acts 13 is doing is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do and taught the crowds to do in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount. You remember Jesus' famous, most famous sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, a parallel kind of taught in Luke 6. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us how to be in community. And he taught us how to be in a community that's not angry. It's not angry. That's not manipulative with words. That's not judgmental. And he showed us how to truly give and worship God. How to truly give and worship God. And he assumed we would fast, instantly making us all feel super guilty. <laughs> but he, no, he said, and when you fast, here's the right way that it's going to be that you do it. And it's going to be good for you. And he gave us the model for prayer. And he ended by telling us to put it into practice. He said, now listen. If you want to build your life so that it lasts, so that you're on a firm foundation... If you want to be like a wise person, man, then put this to practice. But if you're going to be a fool if you build it on sand, if you build it on anything else, put these things into practice, built on the foundation of what God has done for you. And then these practices help us to abide in God's love for us. And it's in the midst of this lifestyle that Jesus lived and taught us that the church in Acts 13 heard from the Holy Spirit and that we too, we too will hear from the Holy Spirit. Not, not always in our own timing. And often, often not what we think we would want him to say. But if we put these things in practice, we will hear from the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that verse, uh, verse 2, Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Now, we need to talk about that for a second because there's some things we don't know about it and then there's some things that we do. And it's really helpful if we just lay out some of those. It's helpful for what we should expect. Okay, and the, first we'll talk about what we don't know. Uh, what we don't know, firstly, is uh, to whom was this said? To whom did the Holy Spirit speak? Was it the prophets and teachers or was it the whole church? We're not sure. It doesn't say. It was, it was multiple people. It was to them, but we're not, we're not absolutely positive. Secondly, like, what did, well, what did it sound like? Like, what's it like? Like, what did it sound like right here? Was it like an audible call? You could really, you really heard with your ears, like sound waves through the air. I heard this, or was it more of like a heart impression? Something God that like, God put on the heart and it was a desire or something that felt just like God was speaking inside of the heart. And then we don't, we don't know like what, well, what was the prayer exactly? Like, give me, give me word for word and I'll pray it and I'll hear from the Holy Spirit. Like, we don't know what exactly the prayer was or what worship song was playing. Like, just tell me the worship song. I'll look up on Spotify, I'll light a candle, and then I'll figure out what God wants me to do in that. We, we don't know how, what they were worshiping, what song they were singing. Uh, and how long was the fast? How long was the fast? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. I'd recommend not going longer than 40 days, but uh, we, don't, we don't know right here. We don't, we don't know how long the fast was. There wasn't guarantees, but... They were disciplined in, in seeking the Lord out in some of these different ways. And so what we have, it's not, it's not guaranteed, guaranteed follow these four steps. And this is, how, this is how you get God to tell you what you want to know. That's not what it's about. But what we do know, what we do know is good and helpful and beautiful. What we do know is this. The Holy Spirit, he does speak. It's clear right here, the Holy Spirit speaks to people. And he speaks in discernible ways. We don't know if it was audible, if it was inaudible, if it was an impression of the heart, but he spoke in such a way that was discernible. Holy Spirit's not just like the life force and energy throughout this entire universe that I can kind of feel sometimes. No, like he's a person who can speak. He's a person who speaks. We know that it was, it was in the rhythm of doing the stuff that Jesus taught us to do while worshiping, while fasting, in prayer, in community. And we know that it was tested by the community and it fit God's kingdom purposes, okay? And so if you're feeling a little nervous, like, well, if you just tell people that they can hear from the Holy Spirit, what's gonna happen? Well, first, first, we submit, we submit what we think the Spirit says to the community. We submit it to the community. So I remember an excellent instance of this uh, in the church I grew up in where my dad was a deacon at the time. And a guy... Uh, who wasn't in the church for a while, he came up uh, to the deacons uh, during a meeting and he said to them, hey, the Holy Spirit told me something. And they're like, oh, okay, like, well, what did he tell you? He said, the Holy Spirit told me you guys need to buy me a new car. (laughs) To which which my dad quickly, I'm sure, said, well, he didn't tell me that, right? Like, There's some safeguards here where we get to, in community, we submit things to the elders of the church. We submit it to the community of the church. Is there wisdom here? Does the Spirit speak the same thing to other people? And also, it's never going to go against God's kingdom purposes, which is to say there will never be a contradiction with Scripture. It will never contradict Scripture. But the Holy Spirit, He does speak. So in sum, I think... Hearing God's call from the Holy Spirit 
is a lot like the call of Abram. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, reflected on this and said the following. The nature of the work to which he had Barnabas and Saul was not specified. It was not unlike the call of Abram. To him, God had said, go to the land I will show you. To the Antiochian church, God said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In both cases, the call to go was clear, while the land and the work were not. So in both cases, the response to God's call required an adventurous step of faith. Now, as I said at the outset, um, I really want to ask us to avoid the temptation again to thinking this is a story about those called to the ministry full-time, right? Let's get that out of our heads. And in order to do so, because I want, I want to make this practical, like tomorrow morning, you're probably going to go to a job uh, that's not at this church. Most of our church is not a full-time staff vocation on the payroll at Reality Carpinteria, okay? So how, do, how does this apply to our vocations, to our place we spend most of our hours during the day? I want to talk about that. In order to talk about that, we need to avoid these two errors, two errors. The first is this. We need to avoid of thinking of things as there's sacred work and then there's profane work. Like there's holy things and then there's like things that aren't really holy. Like it's not part of God's kingdom, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not that there is one kingdom that is sacred and that is volunteering at VBS and that is serving with the youth group and that is setting up chairs and that is being on staff at a church and going on a week-long mission trip and the rest of your life is just profane. No, that's not the case. That's awesome. Thank you so much for volunteering, volunteering here in the church. Like the way we have, the, we need you as volunteers and it's a way to advance God's kingdom. But it is not the case that the only way to serve God is by volunteering in the church. That's just not the case. If so, like, you can't even spend most of your time doing it. Like, there has to be a way that we can serve God in the places of our work that aren't officially Christian organizations or that aren't inside of a church building. We need to avoid thinking of things as sacred work versus profane work. And the second thing we need to avoid is hyper-spiritualism. We need to avoid hyper spiritualism. Uh, Dallas Willard, in reflecting upon what, what would this look like for like somebody who doesn't, is not working at a church, what does this look like? He says the following, but how exactly is one to make one's job a primary place of apprenticeship to Jesus? Not, we quickly say, by becoming the Christian nag in residence, the rigorous upholder of all propriety, and the dead-eye critic of everyone else's behavior. I hope that this, should, this would be abundantly clear from our study of Jesus and of his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere. A gentle but firm non-cooperation with things that everyone knows to be wrong, together with a sensitive, non-officious, non-intrusive, non-obsequiousness, obsequiousness. Somebody even told me how to correctly pronounce it during first. It's a hard one. He's getting a little verbose on us. It means servantly, uh, sickeningly servile. Thank you to Randy for that definition. It means, it means this. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Just let me help you. In a way that makes everyone feel uncomfortable and like you're putting on a show for other people. 
says, don't be like that to others. That should be our usual overt manner. This should be combined with inward attitudes of constant prayer for whatever kind of activity our workplace requires and genuine love for everyone involved. Uh, he's he's going to go on to say that uh, there are definitely, we are absolutely called to be able to share the gospel with our words. That love actually actually moves us to have to do that. And sometimes we absolutely have to call out evil that we see. Uh, but he says, as a general rule, how are we to go about this? How are we go, well, don't be the Christian nag in residence. Isn't that a great phrase? Don't be the, don't, nobody, we don't, we don't like it when we feel somebody else do that to us. And man, don't we hate it when we see it in ourselves? So repent, turn, turn back to the way of Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to be like that. But instead, we're gentle. We don't, we don't cooperate. We don't take part in like obscene and filthy talk. We don't, uh, we don't allow some of those things. We don't do the things that everyone knows to be wrong. But together with a sensitive, non, I'm a Christian, so I will not do this announcement to everyone, non-intrusive service to other, we're kind and we're gentle. This should be combined with an inward attitude of constantly praying and offering up prayer to God. Lord, help me to do this to your glory. Lord, help me, uh, help me to love this person. Lord, help me to be gentle with this person. And for genuine love for everyone involved. So we're called unto Christ. And we progressively throughout our lifetime find his calling on us. And if we do these two things, in which we'll find great joy, finding our identity in Christ and then practicing the things that he has told us to do, we find great joy in those, then we can make our joy even more full and complete by being called great in the kingdom of God. So as we've already said, uh, to be called great in the kingdom of heaven, uh, as we've already said, the lifestyle laid out and on offer is found in Matthew 5 through 7. And I want to encourage you this week uh, if you don't have a reading plan or you feel like I don't know where to start in this, man, I would just encourage you to start reading through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and as we look at that, we can discern uh, a lot of different things in there. But I, I pulled out four different disciplines that we see there and we see in the church in Acts 13. That things that we can put into practice that won't earn us favor and love and grace from God. We already have that by Christ's merit. But, but they help us abide in him. They help us put off the old self. They help us put on the new self. The first is this, community. Community. There is no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. There's just not. There's just not. Christ died for his bride, the church. Man, I know a lot of us have wounds in here from ways that we've been hurt in past churches, maybe this church. Man, we're, we're, not, we're not a bunch of perfect people. We hurt each other. But it's in the context of healthy church following Jesus that those things are healed. Those wounds are healed. And while we're in community, while we're in community, we, we, let, we have the opportunity for other people to speak out things that can confirm desires we have that can lead to a calling, right? So we all have desires, and sometimes we don't even think of them as, that. could that be a calling in my life, or should this be that, um, and in community, we're able to speak to each other and lead each other um, to what God might be saying or just pointing out a cool desire of something somebody loves. So I think of, 
uh, I think of this one conversation I had with my mom. And it was my sophomore year of college, and we had just uh, start, I started attending reality, and I had never heard of church planning before. I'm like, what is that? And then I got to know like, what it was about, and I thought, wow, that is the coolest thing in the world. That's so cool. Like, I would want to be a part of a church that can send people to do that. That's awesome. And I was telling my mom all about it, and she said, you know what? There are, like, there are three times in your life where I've seen you just light up like this. I've seen you just light up like this. And the first time was after I just visited Westmont and I really wanted to go there and I thought it was so great. She's like, man, you were just like gleaming. You were just gleaming there. And God made like a really cool provision uh, for me to be able to go there. And then she said, the second time is when, is when my brother-in-law took me uh, to a UCLA football opener and we had box seats. And um, she's like, man, you came home and you were just gleaming. You were just gleaming, shining. Um, now, hey, I, I still love UCLA football. I still um, love that. It's probably not my calling in life. Um, but it's still a desire I have and I, it's something I love. And the third t- thing she said, and like right now when you're talking about like pastoring and like being a part of a church that does something like that. And I look back on that and I'm like, man, that was so profound. And parents, you guys have an opportunity in the things you see your kids doing of like encouraging, man, you just light up when you do that. Man, that's, that's, maybe God might be calling you to this or that. And that happens inside a community. Second thing we see is generosity. Generosity. Consider how we use our money and our time. That's, that's revealing of what we worship, right? And looking at my bank account and where I go, uh, how I spend my time, I found Man, probably often my uh, God is like, what is it? My God is my stomach. It's like food. Like, I just want to eat out. And like, when I'm not eating out and spending money on that, I want to watch Netflix shows on um, the mind of a chef and all these different cooking shows. Like, sometimes, like, I spend an, an absorbent amount, way too much time on that kind of stuff. Jesus says, hey, instead, why don't you be generous with what you have? Give away some of these things. Enjoy a meal with another person. Just kidding. I'm, if you meet, never mind. Uh, thirdly, we have this, fasting. Instead of gorging, binging on Netflix or food this week, what if we fasted from food for a meal to engage with our body at a deep level to express, Lord, this is how I desire you. Not to say, God, I want to earn something from you, but man, every time my hunger pain hits, I'm like, oh yeah, God, I need you more than I need food. Sometimes I don't think that. Help me. Help me, God. Fasting. What if we even fasted a meal and came and prayed for the Muslims on Hajj, on pilgrimage tonight? Lastly, private prayer. Now, we, we do everything in public today. We do everything in public uh, we, we, uh, we're always on social media, right? And you see the word that it's social. So like I'm in a community when I'm doing this. So I'm at my apartment and posting a picture, but like it's before other people. So even when I'm alone, I'm with other people. And when I do that, when I do that, uh, I get to control what other people see. And so they, they see the beautiful dinner. They don't see like the mess of dishes I have. Uh, to clean up after. And they see my stack of 15 books that I'm reading right now. They don't know I only read 10 pages of one of them. Like, we get to, we get, we get to present what, what we look like to other people. And in private prayer, God says this. He says, hey, 
Why don't you unplug from everything else? Hey, just come get away with me. Like, nobody else is going to know that you ever do this. No, but like, and we can just talk about the stuff you care about. And like, I'll see it. And I'll think it's amazing. And it doesn't matter what kind of words you use. It doesn't matter if you feel like you can never read a theological book. And I just want to talk to you in the way that you're able to talk to me. I just want to hear what's on your heart. To go off and just be in God's presence and in prayer. Now, I realize I'm kind of turning the fire hose on you guys with like some of these, right? It's like, I I have negative five hours in a week already. Where am I going to find time for any of this? Um, The first, first suggestion is maybe there's a couple things you need to slow down from. And also, for, um, for those of us uh, who this sounds intimidating, which sounds intimidating to me, start small. Start, but start. Start by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be in community or, or read the Sermon on the Mount or ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? Fast from a meal this week. Slow down and get away with God. And we, when you think you're hearing a calling, Get wisdom and then test it. It'll likely be your giftings intersect with the need of the world. Okay? So Frederick Beekner said this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Oh. Now that, that's not like gospel, right? But isn't that so good? That's so good. And then do it in community. Acts 13 verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. So Saul and Barnabas, they had been showing some aptitudes and teaching. uh, And so like their gifts were made known and then God gave them enough light to make the next step. They didn't know exactly what the the work was, but they made the next step. What I want to encourage you in is this, man, would you dream about what this like could be? like to see the good in your work and where God's called you? That be it making food for the good of your neighbor, like how good is it? How good is it to receive a meal from somebody else that was just prepared so thoughtfully and just tastes so good? Man, that's, the, that's reflecting some of the creative nature of God. And yeah, maybe God right now has you at Taco Bell or McDonald's and it's like a training ground. You make the five-layer burrito as best as you can. And you're blessing a lot of people doing it too. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, and college students. Or maybe it's building a house so that people can have safe shelter. Or creating a home to be used for hospitality. Or raising kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that they can be sent out like arrows to the nations. I think we all know that there's something holy to good craftsmanship, right? Something done well, like a pair of boots that were made perfectly, like a chair that's just aesthetically pleasing and it feels so good, it supports you correctly. There's something holy about that. God's called many of us, many of us not to like, not to do the full-time pastor job, but to do other things that reflect his glory in amazing ways. And where our gifts and the way God has made us fit into the great commission to make disciples and tell others that the kingdom of heaven is here and our world begins to change because of it, that's the place where our hearts just, they come ablaze. 
because you're doing what God made you to do inside of his mission. And so we get to encourage each other, each other today. We lay hands, like the church in Antioch laid hands on each other, not because it necessarily imparted like extra spiritual juice, um, but like as a sign of like, I'm with you. I'm praying with you for this, and I'm, you're in this communion. I'm with you in this. So come up to the prayer team and ask, like, help me see my calling, uh, my vocation as a job, as my job right now. We pray for each other. We lay hands on each other and ask somebody before you do it so you're not creepy. Uh, but we, like, pray for each other. And we encourage each other. And we, where we think God's, like, leading us to say something to somebody, like, I see this in you, this really cool gifting, we, like, prophesy over each other. We say, I think God's doing this in you. You, you pray about this, test it. And we speak life over one another. And whatever God calls you to, there is great dignity and value in it. He made you to be you, no one else. And if you trust in him and you follow him and you put these things into practice, you'll start to hear the call that you've been waiting for your entire life. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would uh, that you would speak to us as you will, that we would be able to start to put into practice some of the things that you've taught us to adopt uh, the lifestyle you have on offer for us. And Lord, I ask that we would hear you in the light that you do give to us, that we would take that step of faith, where you light it up enough that we would trust you. As for those who just feel worn out of thought of having to go to work tomorrow, that you'd refresh them, give, a, give them a, sen- a fresh sense of calling and sentness in the place you have them. Thank you that you're sovereign and where you have us. We ask that we would worship you now in all things. Pray a song in Christ's name. Amen.